Yes, Lord, you are worthy. Worthy is a lamb. God, we just thank you so much. You are such a mighty God and Savior, yet so merciful. Merciful to sinner like me. Lord, I am so thankful for you, for your son, for your mercy, Lord. I pray that you would be with Pastor Rick as he speaks to us. Lord, that we would just open up our hearts and our minds to hearing and receiving your words, Lord, so that we may go out and obey it, share it, and honor you in all that we do. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated, and the kids can be dismissed. Thank you. This is an amazing Sunday. When, when you walked in, perhaps there was some praise, there was some greeting, there was some conversation. But do you believe this right here? I, I have no idea. We haven't counted them yet. But each one of these boxes are going to be sent out. They're going to go into a place that none of us would probably visit ever. Into a village. Into a little boy, a little girl's hand. This is so amazing. They get to hear the good news. They get to be discipled. They get a Bible in their own language. What a blessing. And I thank you for your generosity. I see Stan over here, right? Stan, are you there, Stan? Somewhere? There! Welcome back, Stan. Yeah, Stan's been convalescing, and, and he was able to come. But not only that, yesterday, something happened in the Gardner household. Oh, yeah. I, I knew. I, I, I already apologized to both Daryl and Lacey. Where are you? I can't see a thing. I think they're over here, okay? What I know is that Daryl finally, you know, it's about time. Like everyone knew it was coming, but Daryl and Lacey are now engaged. That's so exciting. How cool is that? Yeah. There's a lot of things happening. And I'm so glad that you were able to join us. You see, each week we gather here and we're able to worship. Worship a big and amazing and wonderful God. And, and I'm not even sure if you understand this, but we really don't worship God because of all the good things that God gives us. We, we don't praise God because for some reason we found a job. Uh, those are good things. They are. But we worship God because of who he is. These things never change. God is loving. God is gracious. God gives us unbelievable privileges. And none of that is earned. And we come and we, we worship. The other thing we do every single Sunday when we gather together is that we open up God's word. Each week we have the privilege of opening up God's word, his transforming word. We believe without a doubt that God spoke these words in order to encourage us and convict us and strengthen us. We have the privilege to be able to hear how much God loves us. And that because we have been rebellious, all of mankind has, because we've been sinful, 
We've been separated from God. But God sent his son Jesus to a cross to appease his wrath so that we might be joined together so that we would have the privilege of being called a son or a daughter of God, so that we might, while we're here on this planet, have the ability to live abundant life. And then when we close our eyes, when we shut our eyes here, we go immediately into the presence of God forever and ever and ever. What a blessing. And and that's what we get to do. We get to gather and worship and hear and praise his amazing. We're in a series, if you've been with us, and we're actually near the end of this series, but we're in this series called David, The Life of a King. And I just wanted to say this, too, is I am so grateful for the tools the scholars, the research, and for all the other pastors who's already gone these paths in front of me. I've been able to read and listen to sermons and be able to sit at some people's feet that are quite amazing. Chuck Swindoll has always been one of my favorite, and he is both a scholar and a teacher. And I just wanted to mention this, is that Dr. Swindoll wrote a book called David. (laughs) It's a great name, huh? But this book was exceptional in helping me just understand the ups and the downs and how David did life. Let me start. You know, age alone doesn't guarantee that we mature or grow or obey God any quicker. Young Elihu stated the obvious when he was talking to Job, the elder statesman. He said, sometimes the elders are not wise, and sometimes the aged do not understand justice. Yet the scriptures are clear. Leaders or those elders or those who have walked with God for a long time, they're held at a higher standard. Those who teach us God's word especially, they are accountable to God and they are judged stricter. James writes in James chapter 3 verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. You see, the consequences of a leader who wanders is often devastating and far-reaching. We've seen some of that even recently, right, in our culture, in our areas. It would be nice, though, if growing old meant an automatic maturity and an immunity to sin. At times, the ones who fall the hardest are the leaders who have walked with God the longest. I guess I would ask you today, I know some are rather new in their faith walk, but but there are plenty of folks, either online or right here within these walls, who have walked with God a really long time. 
And sometimes when that happens, we forget how important it is to hang on to God, to depend upon God in every area. So I hope that this message is one you'll listen to, you'll hear. Honestly, when (laughs) I saw the text today and I knew that I was going to teach this text, um, I saw another example of David, a man after God's own heart, not walking with God. We're going to see a clear example in 2 Samuel 24 and in 1 Chronicles 21. If you'd like to open your Bibles to either one of those texts, put your thumb in one of them. And honestly, to get the full picture today, I'm going to go back and forth between 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 21. And actually, I've tried to put a lot of the verses up on the screen because we're going back and forth so much. But this is a hard story. This is a story that that has some, well, hard things to say. So let me pray before we jump in. Father, we thank you so much just for the opportunity that we have to come before you, to worship, to adore you, to hear you, to hear from you. We pray that your words would be used to encourage us and convict us and inspire us. We pray your Holy Spirit would have free reign in us and in our church. And we would ask, dear God, that we would leave different people. That we would hear you in a fresh way. That you, Father, would be glorified in our lives. God, it's hard to be able to teach a lesson like this because it's about a failure. We, we know you picked David. We know he was a man after your, your own heart. And we don't understand at times why he failed so hard, so often. And then we stop. And we look at our own lives. And God, there's so many times that we want to follow you with all of our hearts. And there's so many times that we desire to listen to you in every area. And we find ourselves being selfish. And confessing our sin. And and you are grateful to forgive us. And to grace us. God, we don't deserve this, but we want to say thank you. So as we open up this book, we pray, dear God, you would teach us. We ask, dear Father, that you would help us understand how important it is to walk with you, to listen to you above all other things. We are grateful again, God, for all the different churches in the area. We are thankful, Father, for those that are preaching and teaching your word, not only in this country, but all over our world. We pray, Lord, that you would build your church and strengthen it, empower it. 
We also ask, Father, that you would be with our teachers downstairs and our kids as they are hearing stories. We pray, dear Lord, that, that you would encourage them and strengthen them. Thank you again, Father, for those who are spending time with our kids. We ask you now, Lord, open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, our story today, uh, again, it's, it's in both chapters. Uh, it's a different perspective, but it takes place right after a great victory against the Philistines. Now, if you're with us like a million years ago, remember David's first battle was against a Philistine and the Philistine nation. It was a great victory. David was able to slay a giant and the Israelites went after and they had great victory. Near the end of his life, again, the enemy is there. And Israel had a great victory against the Philistines. And you can read that at another time. But one of the things that I've noticed is that leaders, after great victories, often become most vulnerable. When something seems to go really, really, really well in life, we have a tendency to think that maybe it's gone well because of us, because we're smart enough, because we are sharp. And we're disciplined. And we know. It's so unique. Because that's usually not the case. We even look, if you go in the Older Testament, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the prophet Elijah. When he was on Mount Carmel. And he literally called fire down from heaven in order to consume an altar. It was a pretty amazing time for Elijah. And he was so excited and there was great victory and God received great honor and there were multitudes that turned back to God at this time. And it's so amazing that within days, Elijah was threatened by the evil queen Jezebel and he ran and he forgot all that happened and he seemed to tumble. Right now, in this story, as we open up, we read that God is angry. 2 Samuel chapter 24, starting of verse 1. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he caused David to harm them by taking a census. The same incident, we're told in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. Now let me just point a few things out in these verses. First of all, the Bible doesn't tell us why God was ticked right here. We could assume that was because of some kind of rebellion, that, that once again God's people weren't trusting God. But then we read, he, he caused David to harm them. Although the he in 2 Samuel feels fuzzy, the he is defined clearly in 1 Chronicles. 
The Bible tells us that Satan caused David, he, in some of your scriptures, incited David against them, against Israel. Satan greatly encouraged David to sin. David took a census to us that doesn't make a lot of sense right now. And I couldn't tell you exactly how Satan did this. Did Satan whisper in his ear? Did Satan write him a letter? I I don't know exactly, but Satan knows how to work. The enemy tempts and deceives and brings lies over and over and over again. And somehow he got into David's head at this time, after this great victory, and said, hey, David, you need to take a census. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 2, So the king said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Take a census of all the tribes of Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, so that I may know how many people there are. Now taking a census doesn't seem too bad to us. But go and number Israel and Judah was a dangerous command because of the principle found in Exodus chapter 30, verse 12. Most of us are unaware of that. We don't grow up in this Hebrew kind of environment. But the principle of Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, this is what Moses was told. Whenever you take a census of the people of Israel, each man who is counted must must pay a ransom for himself to the Lord. Then no plague will strike the people as you count them. You see, the principle of Exodus 30, verse 12, speaks to God's ownership of his people. Back then, a man only had the right to count what belonged to him. And Israel didn't belong to David. Israel belonged to God, which simply means that God was the only one who had the right to count. Scholars seem to agree that it was David's pride right here that caused him to sin. And we know Satan loves to focus on pride. It was a time when the elderly King David thought the Hebrew nation flourished and grew because of his leadership, which wasn't the case. Now we get a fuller picture developed in 2 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 3. But Joab, after he received this shall I say, command from the king. But but Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? Joab knew it was wrong. Joab understood this. Joab was the, the main man in his army and he's basically saying, King David, why? But the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out to count the people of Israel. David receives wise counsel here and ignores it. We already know that Satan is involved, and there's no surprise here, but that the enemy loves making us focus on us, which builds our pride and diminishes God's glory. 
David is king and he pulls rank. David has no accountability, which is a dangerous place for anyone. In fact, I think few people can handle it. David certainly didn't. Two of David's blaring weaknesses rise to the top as you look at this. First of all, you know that David wasn't walking with God. There's no mention of him going to God. No mention of him seeking God's face. No mention of that at all. He was just doing this on his own. And secondly, there was no accountability. Even though Joab stood up, even though Joab gave him good advice, David thought, you know what, I'm king. I don't need to listen to you. I am the sovereign ruler right now. So I'm going to do what I want to do. Now let's move on to a critical part of the story in Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 10. And let me just remind you before I read it, or as you read it, this is the reason I believe that David is a man after God's own heart. All right, it's key right here. But after he had taken the census, sent the men out, received the results, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. You know, God's spirit is faithful. God's spirit pricks our hearts when we rebel against the Almighty. And David had a troubled heart. That would some of your translations would say. His conscience was pricked. The word here literally means his conscience was attacked or assaulted or wounded or crippled. He was just disturbed that he displeased God. And David was at a crossroads right here. He was. He could go one of two ways. He could repent or he could ignore and run from God. This pathway you choose determines your future. Repentance will bring restoration and life. Running away will bring death and destruction. Now, regrettably, leaders have a tough time listening to any voice, including the voice of the Holy Spirit, which is God. Now, David chose to repent, which was wonderful. But what you also have to be reminded, and what I need to be reminded, is repentance doesn't mean consequences are dismissed. Then one of the oddest sections in all the scripture. In fact, I don't think there's any other verses like this in all of the Bible. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 9 through 12, I'd like to read it to you. All right. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments and I will afflict it on you. 
So Gad came to David and said, these are the choices the Lord has given you. You may choose three years of famine, three months of destruction by the sword of your enemies, or three days of severe plague as the angel of the Lord brings devastation throughout the land of Israel. Decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. Odd for one reason is that God says, hey, there are consequences. You have disobeyed me. Here are three things that I choose in my sovereignty to do. All of them are right. Which one would you like? Whoa. 2 Samuel chapter 24, starting at verse 14. David says, I am in a desperate situation. David replied to Gad, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning. And it lasted for three days. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation. From Dan down to Beersheba. Sin has consequences. Always. Not just for kings. And our righteous God saw it fit to kill 70,000 people. Now I'll be the first one to say, I don't get it. I, I don't. I don't know all the reasons. I don't know if these people were running from God. If they were rebelled. I, I don't know any of those things. But I know that God chose to do this because of David's sin. Can you imagine how David felt? Can you imagine getting up the next day and getting the news? 70,000 families were affected because of David's pride. Sin brings death and destruction. But God had a plan. Isn't that how it works? We choose to eat some fruit in the garden, but God has a plan. We choose to live our lives apart from God, but God has a plan because he loves us. And in First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 18, then the angel of the Lord told Gad to instruct David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So isn't this interesting? David responds quickly and goes to Aruna. So many of us, me, learn the hard way. And we know that sin brings consequences and we know sin hurts others and we recognize that our rebellious nature will destroy. But sometimes my selfishness, sometimes your selfishness, sometimes David's selfishness is so much that we don't care. And then the consequences come. 
Second Samuel in chapter 24, starting in verse 19. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. Now he's all in. Now he's listening with both ears. Now he said, hey, God, this is what you want me to do? I'm going to do this. And it goes on. When Aruna saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord, the king? Aruna asked. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Aruna goes, take it, my lord, and use it as you wish. He wanted that plague stopped too. In fact, he said, here are oxen for the burnt offering and you can use the threshing boards and the oak Uh, or the ox yokes for the wood to build a fire on the altar. I will just give it to you. And may the Lord, your God, accept your sacrifice. But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. And David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land. And the plague on Israel was stopped. See, there's a cost in obeying God and following Jesus. The pestilence stopped when David obeyed. What do you think was going on through David's mind right now? What would have happened if this is you? Every one of you, many of you, have come to a place where you've confessed sin. You've seen the destruction, maybe in your own lives, how you've hurt others with your choices and your selfishness because you had not or I had not obeyed the Lord. Oftentimes your prayer is something like this, Father, (laughs) I, I never want to disobey you again. I've seen how I've hurt my wife or I've hurt my kids or I've hurt this company. I I see, God, how I have defamed your name. I see how I have not honored you. Father, I don't want this to happen. Would Would you forgive me? But Lord, there's disaster out here. Lord, my choices. Father, would you heal Would you bring grace? Oh, Lord, I I just want to hear you and listen to you. We don't know what David was thinking. We don't know what kind of worship. We don't know what any of those things went on. But we know that David was obedient. David built an altar. There was bloodshed and his sin was covered. That's what's so amazing about our God. 
is that he doesn't require the sins of goats and sheep anymore. Because Jesus loved us so much that he came 2,000 years ago and he spread his arms and spilled his blood so that we might be restored. Our God is a gracious God. And he does forgive. And he gives grace for those consequences. It is a hard story. It just is. And many times at the end of a message, I'll share with you some takeaways. And, and I think today, the takeaways come in the form of warnings. The first one is to live an unaccountable life as flirting with danger. Isn't that something, David, king, the one who wrote Psalms? He had a trusted friend warn him, ask him, why, why, why are you doing this? Don't go down this path. And David said, I don't care. I don't care. I hope you have some Joabs in your life. I hope you're surrounded by Joabs. Maybe it's one of your groups that you meet with. Maybe it's as you have supper together with your spouse. I don't know what your group is. But I know this, that we all need Joabs. Others that do the journey with us. Because there are times that we are so blind and so selfish. Secondly, sin has consequences and nobody escapes. Isn't it something that even those who walk with God for a long time sometimes think, or maybe often think, that I'm smarter than God? I, I don't really have to listen. I don't really have to forgive. I, I don't really have to love others that are hard to love. I don't really have to do that, God. Those are things you've asked me to do. But you know what? I'm smarter than you. You really don't know my neighbor. You really don't know what she did to me. You know what, God? I don't have to listen to you. But there are consequences always. There's always God knows what is best. He is our loving Father. He is our, our gracious God. And, and He has given us His love letter. It says, Hey, I, I want you to experience life. Would you listen to me? Oh, that we would listen to God, that we would learn from David. And lastly, when you sin, I, I didn't say if. It's when. When you sin, repent. First John 1, 9, what an amazing verse. If we confess our sins, if you're part of God's family, well, we have access to God. And when we sin, we can confess. And when we 
confess his faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can again have fellowship. We can again walk with our God. We don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. So repent quickly. Repent quickly. Confess your sin. You know, I was thinking, anyone in leadership probably needs to read these chapters often. You say, well, Rick, I'm not a leader. Well, well, actually, most of you probably are leaders. You have influence over two or three, or you have influence over 20 or 30, or you've influence over 200 or 300, but you lead. And my encouragement is this, is that sometimes the enemy would love to destroy and love to bring death and and love to bring mayhem. We all need to walk with God closely, listen to him and respond. And when we fall, repent. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for David's example. I, I would have wished, I guess, in my head, in my, in my fairy tale mind, that David would just always listen to you and David would just be this unbelievable man of God. And there are so many times he is. There are so many times that, that he sees you differently and he trusts you and he obeys you with all of his heart. But there are these times, God, where his flesh gets in the way. There's times when the enemy seems to overwhelm him and his selfishness takes over. Oh, God, would you protect us? Would we, first of all, walk with you in an unbelievable way? Will we learn to listen to you? Would we really believe there are consequences from not listening to you? Don't let the enemy deceive us, Father. And would we respond to you like David did? Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit and thank you for the conviction the Holy Spirit gives each one of us that are part of your family. I pray, Father, that we would never push that prompting, that conviction aside, that we will respond to you with all of our hearts. In fact, Father, I pray that we would grow in our faith and our obedience. And as we close our time today and we sing trust and obey, oh God, would, would that be something we as a people would grow in, trusting and obeying. And would your name be glorified in all we do. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.